calls for unity, openness, and diversity. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at CoSide, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Catherine Kandisky, Statehouse reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. Bill Cohen, Statehouse correspondent for Ohio Public Radio. Ray Adams, consultant and former area director of the United Negro College Fund. And Bob Clegg, Republican strategist. President Obama this week called for bipartisan unity as he promoted new efforts to advance technology while at the same time promising to rein in federal spending. In essence, there was no proverbial aisle in the House chamber as Democrats and Republicans sat side by side, and the president called for the move to be more than a symbol. What comes of this moment is up to us. What comes of this moment will be determined not by whether we can sit together tonight, but whether we can work together tomorrow. Among those applauding, Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown, who likely faces a tough re-election fight, he holds out hope for a more cooperative spirit. Yes, I think I liked what happened at the end of last session, all the bipartisan work we're able to do together, Uh, middle-class tax cuts, extending unemployment benefits, food safety, uh, repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, uh, the the START Treaty to reduce uh, uh, nuclear weapons in Russia. All those things were done bipartisanly. I hope it spills into this session and we can do some of those kinds of things together again. Bob Clegg, how long does this spirit of bipartisanship last, or is it already evaporated? Uh, not long. Uh, <laughs> I just love these calls for bipartisanship now that the Republicans have control of the House. I mean, I wish we would have had bipartisanship for the last two years, and guess what? We had none. Did the Republicans just, play a role in that lack of bipartisanship over the past two years? Well, I mean, it's it's a matter of, you know, Eric Cantor trying to get a meeting with Nancy Pelosi when she was Speaker, and he was number two man on the House Republican side, and she said, no, I really don't need to meet with you because I have all these members, and I can pass whatever I want. And Yeah, sure. I mean, it works both ways. But I mean, it was there. They were in charge. So it's easier for them to act bipartisan when you're in charge than when you're not in charge. It's tough for the Republicans to have done anything. I don't know if bipartisanship is is necessarily good, although everybody says they're for it. But I think you, you have a better chance of getting it when you've got split government. Uh, and that's what we finally got now. You remember in Ohio uh, four years ago, we had we had bipartisanship. They were calling it like the kumbaya moment, where they had the we had the state budget pass almost unanimously, a major jobs bill pass almost unanimously, uh, an electricity reform thing passed almost unanimously, and the legislators were hugging each other, and we had split government. We had Republicans controlling the House and Senate, and uh, Democratic Governor Ted Strickland. So this is, I think, the setup for if, if you like bipartisanship, maybe you'll get it on the federal level. So that begs the question, will it flow down to Columbus? Because we now no longer have split government. We have Republican John Kasich, Republican House, Republican Senate. No, I don't think (laughs) so. I I agree. I don't (laughs) think so. We have have the Republicans in control of everything, and they've got a pretty big agenda that they want to push through. And I think that you're going to see, starting with the budget, and what you didn't hear come from Obama um, earlier this week in his State of the Union address was stimulus money for the states. So our, Governor Kasich has said he's going to balance the budget without tax increases. So I think you're going to see the Republicans push through a budget that's going to have a lot of cuts that are going to be really difficult for people to take. Ray, after the Democrats lost so badly 
in November. There, the president's numbers in particular started to come up when there was some bipartisan cooperation during the lame duck session. Would it behoove Ohio lawmakers to try to work bipartisan to... And that's what the voters want. Well, if you, if you want to grow and develop, I think you have to do that because we govern the state of Ohio. But unfortunately, uh, when you're in power, you, don't, you, you, you let everybody take care of what they get. Especially if you have been out of power exactly. for a while. Well, you know what amazed me about the president's speech, the State of the Union, was I, I thought of it as kind of like a cotton candy speech because it looked nice and it, it, it tasted well, but there's no substance to it. Here we have all these problems with unemployment, with uh, you know deficits, spe uh, government spending, and he really didn't give any specific uh, proposals to try to address all those problems. Talked in a lot of generalities, and I can't believe, once again, I'm sitting listening to a Democrat talk about high-speed rail and trains as a solution to, you know, double-digit or high unemployment. I mean, I mean, it, we got to come up with some major proposals here to try to tackle this problem. How about lower, didn't he call for lower corporate taxes? Mm -hmm. I thought that was part of it, and I thought that was interesting. Isn't that it, an overture yeah, for conservatives? Sure. If, if it's actually going to happen. Remember, he talks about a do wanting to do a lot of things like, like vetoing any earmark bills that come to him. Well, he had a lot of earmark bills that came to him in the first two years, and he didn't veto a single one, and he's talking about it again. The problem we have is he puts things out there that sound well and will try to help his reelection campaign, but it's the reality of what he does that matters. Well, I would, I would beg to differ because I think he does make some concessions. I mean, when they did the last budget, he came through uh, in terms of, because I personally said, don't give the people with higher incomes that kind of break because we need the money. Yet he caved in on that and he gave back. I mean, I think it's a cave <laughs> because you need to go after those. That's where money is. And, and, Trust me, I don't think people with a lot of money going to miss not getting the taxes. I thought he was speaking more to the American people. I think, as Bill mentioned earlier, people want to see their government cooperate. They want to see their government work together. And I think his speech was directed more at, at Americans, not so much at, at the political parties. I mean, he's taken a lot of heat from his own party for some of the ideas that he's put forth. And didn't he also mention um, medical malpractice reform? Yes. In, in th Fewer his regulations speech. as well. You know, that's something the Republicans have been seeking for a long time. So I think he's trying to extend some kind of gesture to the other side, but I think mostly he was talking to the American people. We'll see if it, some of those statements, as Bob said, and promises come, come true, and we'll see if the bipartisanship uh, lasts at least a couple of weeks. Devilish details of Governor Kasich's jo Jobs Ohio plan emerged this week and prompted a lot of criticism. The bill passed by a House committee exempts private development, the private development organization, from most public records meeting laws, and it will be audited by an independent firm once a year. The state auditor can look at its books, but the auditor is not required to audit its books, as Democrats wanted. The organization will issue an annual report, and Republicans agreed to change the bill to allow the inspector general to investigate the agency, something that was not in the original bill. Kathy Kandiski, is there a chance that this effort, this private, quasi-private agency, could be subject to a legal challenge down the road? Sure, I think it's possible. I think that the two kind of key points on it is it's, it's a, they've set up kind of a private entity, a nonprofit entity that's essentially going to function as a government entity. 
Um, so that's one concern. Um, and the second would be the public records aspect of it. This entity is going to essentially be using tax dollars. So the question comes, you know, what does the public, what's the public's right to know about how their tax dollars are being spent? Those are two issues that I think could, you might see, come up through the courts. And I think another issue, too, uh, I think the backers of this say in some way they hope that private companies will fund the effort and then in some way the Jobs Ohio entity will own a part of the new business ventures. But there's other folks who say, well, the state isn't allowed to, to, to buy a piece of private companies. And even though this is kind of quasi-government, it could be interpreted that the state's buying, buying a piece of these companies. So that's another issue that could wind up in the courts. Why does it have to be so secret? Well, I think he just is trying to, to operate like the private sector. And in the private sector, you don't have a lot of these, um, you know, constraints in the way you operate. It's, it is a government entity. However, they are trying to do a private function in, in that, you know, the whole purpose of this was thinking outside the box. The current or the old Department of Development wasn't working all that well with creating jobs and keeping jobs here in Ohio. And that's what they're looking at right now. They're looking at keeping the jobs we already have. Things have gotten so bad, they can't even start thinking about creating new jobs. they got to just stop the hemorrhaging of jobs to other states. So in that whole context, that's why he came up with this idea to try to change the way we do business, literally, here in Ohio. Well, I think you need to be more responsive to the business community. And I don't think Ohio is very responsive to, to the business community. So we're missing out on that particular boat. Now, I would suggest that if, why make it a, a nonprofit? Why don't you, you, you have a person who's in charge of, of getting money anyway? That's what he does for a living. Let him raise the funds for that particular department. And then we'll loan him the money. You know, and we'll get interest off of it. If you want to do it that way, that way they can be private. They can act any way they want. Uh, and, and we'll charge them a nice interest rate. And, uh, well, hey, I mean, that's what businesses, when they start up companies, that's what you have to do. You have to go out in the marketplace to get money. We just, I mean, it's, it seems like a, ages ago, but the Tom Noe, Coingate affair, with the workers' compensation scandal where the investments were, you know, went awry. The complaints were that the regulation wasn't tough enough. Are we heading down that path again, or is there a possibility of that if there's no oversight by the auditor unless he well, or she any, chooses? Any time you're not able to examine how public funds are being spent, you run that risk, and that's what seems to be being set up here. So, you know, we had uh, something kind of similar to this with education when the state started giving money to charter schools and then they started setting up management companies and all you knew was this amount of money was going to this management company but you didn't know how the money was being spent that case is currently being litigated someone sued to see those records and that's currently going through the court it's kind of a similar thing you don't know what's going on because you can't see will the senate go along with this bill any idea I'm guessing they will. Yeah, uh, they may make some changes, but I think the the the, the pretty much the, the the bill itself will will pass. You know, in its form as it is now. It would just seem to me that the way to attract business. I mean, this may help some private. Who know, I don't know one way or the other. But it would seem to me that businesses make their decisions not so much on how responsive some bureaucrats are to luring them, but in terms of the overall, it seems to me they make decisions on, on taxes, on whether there's skilled labor, on whether labor costs are too high, whether business regulation is too tough. And of course, he, uh, Kasich's going to work on those things in separate bills. But it seems to me those are the real things that are, that are, that are more important than whether you change the bureaucratic structure. But, but, but Bill, remember, we're not talking about attracting people from outside Ohio. What we're talking about is keeping Ohio jobs here, and the problem that we've had 
is that the, the businessmen with businesses here in Ohio were saying that, yes, the Department of Development wasn't responsive when they were getting wooed by Indiana or Kentucky or Pennsylvania. They, w they were coming back to Ohio to say, well, what are you going to do? And they wouldn't respond. But so, I mean, that's why we got to get on, you know. But even for those companies who are thinking about leaving, it would seem to me they would be looking uh, not at individual incentives, but would be looking at whether regulation is going to be loosened, whether their EPA uh, requests are going to be uh, loosened, that kind of thing, and whether maybe the estate tax goes well, that's, down. That's uh, been knows? part of it. The EPA and th their response, that's been part of what, what the governor's talking about. Yep, I'll point out in Florida, they had, they've moved the development efforts to a private organization, the Democrat governor back in the 90s did that, and now they are moving it back under the governor <laughs> on the public side because they complained that the private entity was too hard to control and they couldn't figure out who was doing what, so who knows They should what's probably focus more on the efforts that they're trying to make and what they're trying to accomplish and less on the structure. All right, let's get to our third topic. John Kasich this week also took heat from the Legislative Black Caucus. There is not one person of color in the governor's cabinet, and minority lawmakers called on their colleagues to reject the appointments unless the governor hires minorities for top positions. The caucus even threatened legal action. The governor says he's just trying to hire the best people, and he's not looking at quotas. Ray Adams, the governor says the two African Americans turned him down for cabinet positions. That aside... Should he do more to bring more people of color into his cabinet? Well, sure he should. If you notice, when he passed the, uh, signed the uh, legislation for Martin Luther King Day, March 17th. Wasn't that, was that a typo or is it? It didn't make any difference. Yeah. You've got people in your, you got, this has been going on for 25 years. Mm -hmm. If you have competent people in your staff who are looking at these issues, you won't make that mistake. And I think he has to be aware of the constitu constituency he's dealing with. Uh, yes, it's, it's a big mistake. I think you should have it. If, if he went to all women, we'd be having a problem. If he went to all men who are 59 years old, you'd have a problem. If he went to all black, you'd have a problem. These 12% of the population is African American in the state. 18.2% of them are, are minorities. You have to have a voice. You have to have somebody who feels comfortable to pick up a phone and say, I got an issue, let me talk. There's nobody in that cabinet right now that somebody can say that to. You know, I, I look at, I look at this in terms of the last time we had a great stat in the paper the other day the last time a governor had an all-white cabinet was 1962 under governor Michael DeSalle I think yeah. um, everyone else since then has obviously valued having some representation in their cabinet it, I think one problem Kasich has is he is not just a Republican he is a conservative Republican he generally wants ideological conservatives to carry out his proposal and let's face it the black community votes eighty to ninety percent for democrats and so the pool of republicans is small and the pool of conservative republicans is even smaller i'm not excusing his mix but i'm just or his lack of mix but i'm just saying he that's where he's he's, he he's got to a tough problem to get a development director he's going to washington dc to bring people in so Fine. If you want to stick and say Ohio, then it's fine. That, that's an out. I don't think that's an out. He can look around the country to find those kind of people to be part of that. Mm -hmm. Bob, why, why this seems to be a no-brainer. You're going to take heat if you have a cabinet that's all white. Mm -hmm. Why politically is he allowing this to happen? Well, he is trying to get the best people possible to be in his cabinet. And two of those individuals, as you noted, were African Americans. I'm getting tired of this constant game that's being played with conservatives and Republicans 
where they're racist. Now, they don't say it. And that's the thing about the press conference that bothered me. The innuendo that drips from that press conference is amazing. Why don't they just man up and say, we think he's a racist because he doesn't have a single African-American in his cabinet. But instead, they just put it out there like, well, he's conservative, he's Republican, therefore he doesn't have any African-Americans, he must be racist. But they won't say it. It's the same kind of low-level politics that they did with the Tucson shooting where they said Sarah Palin and the Tea Party was responsible. I, this is 2011. Why would you, you be thinking that somebody, somebody automatically is a racist because they didn't pick an African-American or they picked the wrong African-Americans and they, he, he asked two people that turned him down? Now, I've also seen where uh, presidents like President Bush, both Bush, picked Clarence Thomas and kind of Lisa Rice, but you know what? It wasn't the right kind of African-Americans. And the African-American leaders criticized the fact that, that Clarence Thomas was appointed to the Supreme Court. So you can't win on this issue if you're a conservative Republican. No, but, but you, you should value diversity in terms of opinions. And that's why I think he's, he's lacking the diversity of opinion from other people. So you think he's not talking to any African-Americans? Now, the man I represented African-Americans in Columbus for over 10 years as a congressman. So you don't think he has... And I talked know, to him while he was representing, yeah. and I'm saying to you, he listened to two people, and you can look at more. I think diversity is good for us, period, period. It doesn't have to be African-American. He can be Latino. He can be Asian. I am not asking for that. I'm saying you've got a group, 18% of your population, who need to talk to the governor, who won't feel comfortable going up to talk to him, because there's nobody that looks like them. But it's haven't we gotten past the point, though, where we put one person in as a token, like the, no. like, like, the, like the president used to do with the HUD? The HUD secretary was always an African-American. Well, you never could remember his name. And he was there for show only. Do we really, have we gotten to the point where all we care about is the show of well, I it? I think it gets to Ray's point of what does he value. Does the governor value having diverse opinions in his cabinet? That's that's the issue. Yeah, and he did, obviously, because he asked two African-Americans to be in his cabinet. If he didn't, he wouldn't have asked them, would he? Well, let's get to our next topic. States around the country face a trillion-dollar time bomb. That's the gap between what state employee pension plans owe and what they have, according to a Pew report. Ohio's public pension plans seem to be taking steps to close that gap. All five employee pension plans this week revealed plans to cut benefits, raise retirement ages, ages, or increase contributions in an effort to stay solvent. Of course, the fear is if these pensions go broke, taxpayers will have to bail them out. Bill Cohen, how are the, how are the pension plans doing in Ohio? They seem to be at least a little bit ahead of the, what other states are doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an actuarial geek, but the folks who do that kind of stuff, they say that these proposals from the five pension funds will make the plan solvent and they'll be able to, to, to uh, not only pay the benefits but also the important health care. So there's all these things you hinted at them there, you know, under the PERS plan, work two years longer to get the same benefits. Instead of basing it on your best three years, your, your, the average of your top three years of salary, you'd be the top five years. Uh, we've got police and fire uh, changing their retirement from, four, from age 48 to 52. We've got the teachers having to pay 3% more into the fund. So there's a whole broad list of changes. But the, the, the actuarial folks, they say this would, put us, uh, this would put us on an even keel. Although the police and fire uh, uh, official <laughs> who, who went before the, one of the legislative committees said, well, it's not exactly as, as tight a thing as you want, but we're close. And the legislator said, close? It's got to be yeah. on the mark. Are, are these are the public pensions too generous? Have they been too generous? Is that why we're in trouble, or is it the stock market 
declines that have cost these pensions. I think part of that, and the other thing is we're getting older and they're going to be retiring. You're going to have more people going into that mm -hmm. service. So what they originally thought is just not happening. I think people, you know, I, I applaud the teachers because they took a, a, a very powerful step towards trying to get it straightened out. I, th I think I think what really has thrown them out of whack, though, has been the fact that they included health care um, as part of their deal. Right. And at the time they did it, health care was not that expensive. But as we all know, it's it's skyrocketed, and that's really thrown them out of whack. Just like everyone who works, I mean, everyone's contributing more to their health care these days. And I think that the pension pension funds have to come in line on that. Do we ever see a time when public employees do not have a guaranteed defined benefit plan pension plan? Well, you know, they don't qualify for Social Security, yeah. so they need one. Do, or, do you ever see that changing where they would pay into Social Security oh. instead of have burdening them? Maybe grandfather it in somehow, but I don't see the current employees yeah. being ta taken away from them. Yeah. Politically, what's interesting is here, Kasich, is, this is the thrust Kasich likes, but he doesn't have to lead the charge on this. The pension funds themselves are admitting they need to make these mm -hmm. cutbacks and they're not going to ask government to pay more. So this plays right into that, and Kasich doesn't need to take the lead and take the heat. Okay, we've got to get to our last topic because it's the topic that just keeps on giving. Tonight, access to the Columbus sewer system to its casino, Penn National, looks like it's investigating trucking sewage to a treatment plant in Marysville. The Columbus Dispatch reports the project manager for the Westside Casino asked officials at the Marysville Water Reclamation Facility if it could handle 120,000 gallons of sewage a day. Of course, the casino cannot connect to Columbus sewers unless it agrees to annex its property to the city. Penn National says it won't do that unless it gets tax breaks. Bob Clegg, 120,000 gallons of sewage, that's a lot of, well, that's you know. a lot of sewage. <laughs> Those this, are jobs. Those are jobs. Yeah. <laughs> is this a real, a possibility or I, is this a ploy? I got to believe it's a ploy. It's, you know, it's the battle between the city of Columbus and the casino owners, and they're trying to look like they really don't need to annex into the city. They can do their own thing, and I just think it's all being done for negotiating purposes, you know. Marysville says they can handle it. They have like well, 2 sure million <laughs> gallons of excess capacity. But um, $300,000 a year is what the dispatch estimated it would cost. Uh, you know, they're out there ma creating jobs. Not only are they going to need blackjack dealers and, and poker, you know, they're going to need people to truck their trash. 24 trucks a day? <laughs> that was the estimate? Um, no, Franklin Township is asked to create a building department, another possible sign that... You know, they might be going forward with this despite the... I think the next thing you're going to hear is some kind of an agreement. This seems to all be playing out in the press. Mm -hmm. I think the next thing you're going to hear is some agreement between the city and the casino. I, it just seems like everybody's posturing. I just think the casino owners just... It's one of those things where they got... You know, you never want to wish for what you really want because you may get it. And I'll tell you, this is only, be I think it's only the beginning for these guys because the governor's talking about revisiting the whole deal of how much they need to give to the state of Ohio because obviously the constitutional amendment that passed was written by the casino owners and the state of Ohio is not getting anywhere near the kind of share that other states get. And these guys, you know, they come into Ohio and they think this is all going to be, you know, for easy stuff. But can the governor do that without going back to the voters? The casinos can just say tough oh, luck. Of course he's got to go back to the voters, yeah. but I, I would love to run that campaign, you know. You know, uh, th those greedy casino owners are, you know, making you taxpayers foot the bill. Right. And I think you get support from liberals and conservatives on oh, that. Everybody. Uh, so, you know, that could go. But 
I mean, we've seen in these campaigns in the past that these casinos can pump a lot of money into these campaigns, and they made the argument in 2009 that the jobs are important, and if you, if you don't take our... We don't, if you increase our tax rate, we're not going to come. You won't get the jobs. You know what? You're right. They can spend $15, $20 million to try to convince people that they really aren't greedy. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a tough message for them to, to sell. Um, Beulah Park is owned by the same folks who are developing the Columbus Casino. There's been some speculation that they're going to take that license and move it to Youngstown. If that's true, that, then obviously they're, gonna, they're really counting on, Penn National is really counting on the Columbus Casino as their, as their moneymaker here. We're going to have a casino. We're going to have a casino. Yeah. And truck and sewage or pipe and truck sewage and or sewage something? Truck and sewage somewhere, maybe. Not sure about I think that. just the whole lot of porta potties <laughs> out back there. <laughs> I want to know why they can't truck it out of Ohio, though. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to our final off-the-record parting shots. Bob Clegg, you're up first. Um, I think with the uh, Congressional Budget Office uh, announcement this week that the federal deficit is now, for this fiscal year, going to be one and a half trillion dollars. You're going to see the House of Representatives voting very soon on a uh, measure to cut spending, federal spending, down to the um, 2008 level. Okay. Ray? Well, my hope is that voters stop having short-term memories. Uh, when things happen to them four years from now, they can't remember it happened to them, that they need to, to get out and vote and be a part of the society and make it work for them. Okay. Bill? This is the most conservative legislature we've had in decades, uh, and I think there's some lawmakers, especially Republicans, who want to do stuff on stem cell research and abortion and immigration. But I think we're not going to really see a lot of that actually pass because I think Governor Kasich is going to tell those folks, look, I want to focus on jobs and the economy. That's where we want to be conservative. Don't divert our attention with these other controversial proposals. And Kathy? Uh, I think uh, Governor Kasich's got two more appointments to make. Job and Family Services Director, Lottery Director, and I think you'll see one, if not both of those, minorities. The interim director is an African-American right now. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. But I'm he could get the job I'm talking permanently. about permanent, yeah. yeah. Okay. And my final thought, I am embracing this whole Twitter thing. Now you can join the conversation on Twitter using a special hashtag. Now, all you tweeters, you know what that is. So go to hashtag Coder Back Channel. It's a way we can interact with viewers in a way that viewers can interact with each other. I'm trying. I'm trying, says our digital media manager. Um, that is Columbus on the Record for this week. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.